Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Now, compared to most of the offseason, we actually had a busy couple of days in the NBA, at least on the news front. Yeah, I stockpiled it a little bit. Patrick Beverly trade news. Or should we call that the THT trade news? Or call it the Stanley Johnson trade. Chet Holmgren news. Gary Harris, Danilo Gallinari here over the weekend. Just blowing out menisci left and right. We will get to all of that and a little bit more here on this Monday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. This is off-season episode number 101, which sort of lost a little bit of its zing, didn't it? Not much of a fastball left on off-season episode 101. Oh, well. What's that character in Big Mouth? I can't think of the other. He says, what are you going to do, man? I'll look it up while we're doing a podcast here. But anyway, what are you going to do, man? Uh, so in terms of impact, the the Patrick Beverly trade and the Chet Holmgren stuff are far and away the most important pieces of news uh, among that list. I can't think of the what that what that damn hormone monster's name. It's gonna drive me crazy. This whole thing. Ah bugging me i'll figure it out at some point and in terms of and and like what's the fallout from all of this stuff well on the thunder side let's dive straight into the chet holmgren stuff um first of all welcome to the show i'm dan Vespris. this is fantasy nba today a sports ethos presentation you guys know that by now hit me up if you would like to be part of our journey here At Sports Ethos, if you want to cover a team as a beat podcaster, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris or email roster at sportsethos.com. If you want to break into the fantasy industry, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email Rosto, roster at sportsethos.com. I think the only thing that this does is it solidifies our expectation that the Thunder were going to tank for one more year. We already knew it. They weren't good enough to get up and over that hump. They still have a, a beyond a truckload of picks over the next seven or eight years or whatever it is. So they have that, but they, they had too many to use. So just from a timeline standpoint, you look at the team this year and you say, okay, um, they're not good enough to win. Certainly not in a very crowded Western Conference. Both conferences are a little more crowded than they used to be. You know, you're not going to get... Like, you got to be a 500 team to get into the playoffs these days. Even the play-in tournament generally is taking teams around a 500 record. They weren't going to get close to that. Even if they played all their guys as many minutes as humanly possible, the good ones in particular, wherever they may be, Shea et al., it wasn't going to be enough. The young guys that they like a lot, they have signed from now until eternity. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is making 35 to $40 million basically every year from now until 2027. Lou Dort, he got a, f- a four, five-year extension, something huge, signed this last year. So he's with the team until basically 2027. 
some old guy money is coming off the books. Josh Giddy, he'll be around until 2026, and then they'll likely try to retain him. I think that's a qualifying offer year, so restricted free agency. Um, Darius Baisley, they're not that invested in him. Alexei Pokushevsky, they like him, and they're hoping that he grows here, but you know, time is starting to run out a little bit on him. A couple more years, we'll see if he can size up a tad. But again, like you look at these guys, Trey Mann, I think they like him. Aaron Wiggins, they like him. These young guys, they've got a few more years on their deal. So there's not this big rush. Oh, we got to get it done. Timeline-wise, it makes way more sense for them to attack next year because they still got some old guy money on the books this season, guys that they bought out and whatever that cost them. But the, technically, the contracts are still kind of hanging around there. And then the young guys that they really like, they've got them for a couple more years after that. And as the team starts to grow, then you can... It's a much easier sales job to those dudes. The only person you needed to sell this tank to was Shea. And presumably he's been on board because they've been awful for a couple of years and they're just piling up as many early draft picks as they can. And as we've talked about a thousand times, and everybody has in every basketball circle, there's a franchise-altering first pick coming up next draft. And so a lot of teams are going to want to make sure they're down in that bottom three. And to me, all this does is it just sort of makes the decision easier. Because if Chet Holmgren came in and was actually very good right from the outset, which I don't really think was going to be the case. We saw him at a big game during Summer League. Oh, look at that. Like, Yeah, okay, fine. He's competitive with the... Sorry to frame it this way. But those guys are the worst players in the NBA. They're still fantastic basketball players, but they're not NBA starters why we see a lot of those guys in summer league slide over into the nba guys that put up big numbers and they just get run right out of the building because they're not as fast they're not as strong they're not as skilled as the guys that have been in the nba for a little while so holmgren let's say let's just come up with this universe where he was going to be good and you know they could have played shea and holmgren and lou dort and Pokushevsky and Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy, another young guy they've got for a while. Sorry, forgot. Sorry, Josh. Forgot about you for a second there. Let's say they played all those guys this year. What are they looking at? High 20s? Do they get into the 30s and wins? Probably not. But that does take them mostly out of the running for the top pick in the upcoming draft. Or what was most likely to happen was you would have seen those guys take games off various junctures throughout the season, the pre-tank, registered trademark pending, someone would have missed a bunch of games in December, and then Shea would have missed a bunch of games in February and March. And Josh Giddy, they could have just shut down at some point. Well, I mean, we, all, we knew what the, the scheme was going to be like. Now it'll just be a little bit easier. You don't even have to shut the guys down as long because you'll lose plenty of games as it is. It's easier to tank when you're not as good. But there's still going to be a tank. So if you're looking at these Thunder players, if you're looking at Josh Giddy, who, by the way, his ADP is way high this year. If you're looking at Shea, whose ADP is pretty close to where his per-game value could end up, on the Roto side, okay, I guess you could make an argument for it, but, you, I mean, you know there's going to be a stretch in there where the plug gets pulled. Head-to-head, -head, I don't see how you can do it. Everybody's like, oh, well, you know, it, maybe he pre-tanks and maybe he's there for your fantasy playoffs. But even if that's the case, do you really want 
one of your top three picks, because that's what it's going to take to get Shea this season. Do you want your top, your number two or number three pick just sitting for a month and a half in the middle of the season for reasons mostly unknown? They'll give one, but it won't be accurate. So, no. Now, uh, obviously, you don't have to draft Chad Holmgren in redraft leagues because he's out. You could draft him in a keeper league and squat on him because he was going to end up going pretty early. And then Shea, I don't think he drops very much. I think people still kind of stick with that without reading as much necessarily into the tank. But it's, it's a thing, man. It's real. And then, as far as the Lakers go, the Lakers unloading Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson, who you could tell they didn't really want to part with. They like Stanley, but, you know, that's not going to be the thing that holds them up here. They went and got the guy that we've been talking about, actually, on this podcast. You know, every once in a while, I just sort of slip almost accidentally into Lakers talk. I almost never draft Lakers. You guys know I'm a Lakers fan. The playoffs come around, I root for them because I don't have to worry about my fantasy team anymore. During the regular season, I'd like to see them win games, but I also have generally avoided their their fantasy players, but for streaming fill-in type of stuff. Well, the Lakers made a deal with the Utah uh, Jazz. That's where Patrick Beverly had ended up after the, the Minnesota Timberwolves trade, Rudy Gobert stuff, to get Patrick Beverly. He's now in L.A., And they sent out THT and Stanley Johnson. Now, obviously, you don't have to worry about Stanley Johnson. He's not going to play enough in Utah, and it sort of wouldn't matter even if he did. I'm hearing a lot of positive stuff on THT after this trade, which I don't know that I'm fully bought in on it yet. Now, if the Jazz, as we all expect, continue to tear this thing down and Donovan Mitchell becomes mostly picks, and Mike Conley becomes mostly picks, and Boyan Bogdanovich, who's an expiring contract, becomes picks, and Jordan Clarkson becomes picks. I mean, there's a lot of work left to do if they're going full teardown. All those guys I just listed don't want anything to do with a rebuild. I mean, most NBA players don't really want stuff to do with a rebuild, but the young guys, at least they can look at it like, oh, this is my opportunity to shine. I can show my wares. Donovan Mitchell, I need to show his wares. And then forget Donovan Mitchell, because he's the guy we've heard linked to everybody. Mike Conley, we haven't heard anything about him getting moved, but he would almost definitely have to go someplace. Jordan Clarkson, 13 mil with a $14 million player option the year after that. So that'll be a little bit tougher to move, but not insane. Boyan Bogdanovich, a little easier to move because he's expiring. The team like the Lakers, that makes him a more interesting player. Not that he's particularly useful. I mean, he'd be fine in a Lakers scheme. He's not a guy that they're going to go and try to get as like a big-time difference maker. But, you know, he fits better than Russell Westbrook does, and he's expiring money as well. Mike Conley, if you're looking at other guys that might be involved in a Lakers trade, that's where things get screwy. Or Clarkson. Clarkson come home. Here's the thing. All those names that I just listed off, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, those guys are all in the way of Taylor Horton Tucker right now. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are the starting backcourt for the Jazz. Boyan Bogdanovich is in the frontcourt. You might see THT get action at the three right out of the shoot, although he certainly profiles more as a shooting guard. But it's workable, sort of. 
But even if he starts, we've seen this thing before with him where his fantasy game, at least right now, is all popcorn stats. He's all popcorn. Taylor Horton Tucker was number 207 last year in 25 minutes per game. And I get it. Usage is always going to be lower when you're on a team with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. So that's a thing that would pivot. But the, the way he was able to get shots was generally when they weren't on the court. Now, THT saw a bunch of playing time when Anthony Davis and LeBron James were out. When guys were hurt, that was what pushed him up the board a little bit. And even then, you know, he'd have these intermittent okay basketball games where you look at it like, oh, okay, I guess I could see the outlines of something. But from a fantasy perspective, his game has these gaping holes. This, by the way, is with his free throw number getting up to a pretty good clip last year. He shot 80% of the foul line, but 41.5 from the field. Very bad. He's a bad three-point shooter. He's not that great of a passer, although I guess you could see that coming along if he was the orchestrator. His steals number is okay. You can give him a little bit of credit on that. He doesn't block shots, doesn't rebound. So how does he get over that hump? Everyone's going to point to those rare games where things just kind of came together for him. Like he had that game against Golden State where he scored 40. You know, he had a 25-5 and game where he went 8 for 13 from the field. There were these couple games intermingled there where he got warm and put up 19, 20, 22, that type of deal. And, you know, four rebounds and four assists or whatever that might be. That's great. Okay? And if he was the last man standing then I'd be all about it. But you got to move at least two of those guys I listed that are currently log jamming him for me to even consider THT as a draft selection. Donovan Mitchell, 20 and a half shots per game. As long as he's there, THT wouldn't, won't be getting enough. But more than anything, you need him out of the way and you probably need Conley out of the way so that there's just backcourt stuff available. Mostly... Ball uh, orchestration type stuff available. Because if even one of those two guys is there, they probably be remain more the primary. Now, we think Utah's leaning into this youth movement. It sounds like Donovan Mitchell's on the move. you got to believe that they're going to be trying to move those other guys as well. Of course, you also need to figure out who comes back in those things. But THT is a flyer for Utah right now. It's a flyer. They like it because he's young, extremely young, and Patrick Beverly, who actually had a slightly more useful contract here. Lakers somehow managed to actually gain flexibility in this deal, but the Jazz just got way younger. So for them, it's like, okay, well, THT, this isn't great for us, but if we're going into a rebuild, we can just sort of kick the tires on this dude, and if it works out great, okay, wonderful. Do I think they're going to try to figure out a way to get him some opportunity? Yes, I do on that front. Because they wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't want that to be a thing. But as of right this moment, he is not draftable in his current role. I would love, actually, I think in a perfect role, Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson are the guys that get out of the way. Because then you take the gunner and the primary. And Conley's going to be more of an orchestrator. So that allowed THT to kind of get free 
and it would still open up enough minutes for him. So that's the guys you want to see out of the way. And then you could look at it and say, okay, well, now this dude has a chance to average like 15 or 16 points, four rebounds, maybe four end change assists, and an okay steals number, and then you just pray the field goal percent gets a little bit better. But even then, you're not talking about much better than like top 85, top 90 type of stuff. There's just There isn't that much room for dramatic improvement. And in a similar vein, as we talk about the Patrick Beverly situation, he played 25 and a half minutes a game last year for Minnesota. He was number 134 on the year. But it's worth pointing out, he has success in low usage roles in the past, and his playing time is always sort of goofed by games where he's coming back from injury and games where he leaves partway due to injury. There were a bunch of those for Beverly last year. He started the year in kind of a smaller role. He played like 21 minutes the first four games of the season. Then that number slowly ramped up. He actually got into a pretty good groove in the middle of November where he was playing typically around 30 minutes a night, hitting you a three, three and a half, getting about like five or six rebounds from a guard spot, four or five assists, steals, blocks, that kind of thing. Everything was looking beautiful. And then on November 24th, Played five minutes and then got hurt, sat out the rest of the ballgame, missed two weeks, came back, played only 22 minutes in his first game back. This keeps happening with him. January 19th, six minutes and then hurt. March 11th, four minutes and then hurt. March 19th, nine and a half minutes and then hurt. How many of those did I just say? Was that five games? Four or five games where he played five or six minutes. So think about it from this perspective, and and we can do the totals on Patrick Beverly because, you know what, screw it. Let's just do it live on air. I haven't run these numbers yet, but as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking this might actually carry a little more weight, a little more girth if we actually mess with it. So I, that was four games, and in those four games, you played a grand total of, what, what was it, about 22, 23 minutes? Okay, so on the year, he played 1,476, well, round up minutes, in 58 ball games, which, by the way, not a great number, but that's kind of what you're looking for. So that averages out to 25 and a half, roughly. If you drop that game total down to 54 and you remove about 25 minutes, you're talking about 14,050 minutes divided by 54 instead of 58, all of a sudden he's up to 27 minutes per game in his other ones. I bet you guys didn't think it was going to change that much. I wasn't sure either, because that was math I couldn't do in my head. But that jumped by almost three minutes. Two and a half minutes it jumped per game. So when he was healthy, and I'm not going to even bother to take out the two or three games where he was coming back from injury and played 21 minutes, because frankly, now you're splitting hairs at that point. This is Pat Beverly. The Lakers will probably try to get him in that same neighborhood. He might even push for more the way the Lakers are built. We'll see who what other moves they make leading up to the season. But in games where Beverly plays about 27 minutes, meaning if you yank out those god-awful games where everything was, where everything came apart like in the middle of the first quarter, he jumps from 135 closer to 100. I actually do believe he has a path to be top 100 in Los Angeles. He's the perfect, sorry, I mean, like, I, he's a guy that annoys a lot of people and... I've always had a soft spot for him because he gets you out of position stats. He gets you blocks and rebounds from a point guard spot in fantasy. But 
like as a complimentary piece, he is optimal. He's optimized for that. He's a corner three-point shooter who plays defense, rebounds, and doesn't need the basketball ever. He took seven and a half shots a game last year. You can get seven and a half shots a game next to Braun and AD. Do we think Russ is there? I don't. Right now, we don't know who's even starting in point guard, but it sure seems like it should be Pat Beverly if you want any kind of floor spacing. Those are the Lakers' huge issues last year. Terrible floor spacing and terrible defense. That's why LeBron had to do everything. That's why he had to make so many threes. Every time he could just pack the paint against the Lakers. Started playing some more Malik Monk. That was a little bit helpful. AD was out all year. Um, at the end of all of this discussion, though, which is going for 20 minutes longer than I intended, I don't think I'm drafting either of those guys as it currently stands. I don't think you need to draft Pat Beverly because, you know, you play him for the three or four weeks he's healthy, and then you don't when he's not. And then with THT, we need to see more guys get out of his way. And even if they do get out of his way, you're still talking about a 100-range guy. Both of those goods are probably 100-range. They just get there in really different ways. Pat Beverly gets you two-plus defensive stats and one-and-a-half-ish three-pointers. And even though his percentages are not great, he doesn't take many stuff. And then THT will probably ruin your field goal percent and score six or seven points per game more. But then his blocks will be lower, his threes will be lower, his turnovers will be higher. They just get there in different ways, but they're going to ultimately both probably be ever so slight negatives on your fantasy team. Kings of the streaming land, as they are right now. Actually, right now, THT isn't even on the radar. He's, he's 150 to 200 range with all these other dudes on Utah. Uh, at least Pat Beverly is like around 100 to 120. The other news is not relevant. Gary Harris suffered a torn meniscus. I mean, it's relevant to Gary Harris, but uh, not relevant for us. And Danilo Gallinari, also not relevant, because now he's buried in the Celtics' depth chart, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that where he ended up at the end of all this nonsense? Yeah, that's not going to matter. So let's cast those aside and do one more small feature, which is going to kind of kick off a little bit of a, a few days' worth of this. And it's something I got a lot of questions about and thought the best way to handle it was actually to go through it with more of a fine-tooth comb. By the way... Uh, ADP numbers are already shifting. Luca is up to fourth now in ADP. Giannis is up to sixth in ADP. He passed Steph, uh, and Cat. Luca passed Joel Embiid. So it's happening. You knew it was going to happen with those guys, and you saw it in our mock draft results from Friday. That's just how it goes. You can always see it. Kyrie Irving is moving down the board. Not surprising. He's Kyrie Irving. You know, who's, you know who else is moving down the board a little bit? Kawhi Leonard. I like that. He's fallen right into our laps. Which means we really have to be careful in the first round. If you're going Kawhi in the second, you got to make sure you're getting 65 to 75 games out of your first rounder. But, ooh, boy, Kawhi is a fun one in Roto. Uh, we can talk more about that ADP shift in a little bit. What I want to talk about over the next couple of days, and we'll see how long this thing takes, because, you know what, blip, still August, I do what I want is I want to address this question of the second round. The second round is always such a nasty little breeding ground. Every year it's the same general story. People are always asking, what do we do with our second round pick? 
because it's where you get guys that have first round per game upside, but can never stay healthy, a la Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. It's where you also have guys that are more like third rounders per game, but have shown general durability over the years. For up until pretty recently, Rudy Gobert was in that neck of the woods. Demonis Sabonis was more of a late third, but was pretty durable up until tank time this last season. Uh, Bradley Beal was actually kind of a combination of durability and a little bit of upside, but then his offense fell apart. Paul George, guy who was constantly hurt with a lot of upside. These names are familiar and somewhat repetitive. And every year, we fight through this same general discussion. Right now, thanks to some slight rearranging, LeBron James, I believe, I think 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, he slid into the 12 slot from 13 to 12. Ja moved up from 14 to 13. Kyrie moved back two slots. So the second round by ADP right now is no longer LeBron to kick things off. Uh, first round, everybody else is the same. They, they did shuffle a little bit. Second round is currently Ja Morant, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, Paul George, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, Tyrese Halliburton, roaring up the board in ADP, not surprisingly at all, and Bradley Beal. The guy that Halliburton pushed out, for whatever it's worth, Demonis Sabonis. He was he was 24, now he's 25. So what I want to do is I want to talk second round. Because it's always the same issue of what do I do? Do I take the upside guy and pray this is the year he gets right? Because if you look back at what happened this last season, a lot of the second rounders were turds. It was actually more towards the end of the second round where guys seemed to do a little bit better. It's you know We spent multiple shows on what a huge disadvantage it was to have picks near the turn this last season. This year's a little bit different, actually, because those guys at the beginning of the second round, aside from Ja, who, you know, he's way up the board because of 8-cat, because of points leagues, and just because people like to have Ja on their fantasy team, he doesn't really belong there. The guys up at the top of the second round, there are a couple of them that are what I would almost consider old man fallers. Damian Lillard, absolutely an old man falling. He was hurt for one season. This guy was the pillar of durability. Had an abdomen thing this last year. Blazers saw it as an opportunity to tank, and they took it. Kyrie Irving is still higher than I thought he would be. Wouldn't be surprised to see him actually fall behind Dame and possibly even behind Anthony Davis by the time all of this sorts itself out. He's a little bit of an old man faller, but I get it with Kyrie. There's all this other baggage. AD, uh, lots of baggage there. But then you get to Kawhi, who, from a nagging injury standpoint, actually isn't that big of a risk. It's just the fact that you know they're going to sit him every back-to-back. So there's 13-ish. I haven't counted up the Clippers back-to-backs. It's usually around that. Around 13 games that are just off the board, right from the outset. And then if there's any little things... 
bruised tailbone, ankle tweak, whatever, then you miss the extra four, five, six games on top of that. So Kawhi is always going to be down in that 20 missed games territory, but we've done this math before. When Kawhi is healthy, which we have to assume that he will be, and we think he gets all the way back where he was before, I think there's a decent opportunity for that. He's a mid-first rounder. 2019-20, he was number six by totals. Played in 57 out of 72 games that year. Missed 15 games. He was still a mid-first rounder. 2021, Kawhi Leonard was number six on a per-game basis before uh, the injury. Played in only 52 out of 72 games that year. Still number nine by totals with 20 missed ball games. Folks are just not doing the math on stuff like this. Dame, Kawhi, these are mid-firsts on a per-game basis, and it's not like they need to do a whole lot to get there. Anthony Davis is currently more of a late first because of the free throw stuff. But I all might, I mean, depending on what the Lakers do here, if they move Russ and the vibes get good in L.A., A.D. would go on my board as well. I actually think the beginning of the second round has a chance to be a really fun spot to draft. 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, are you picking between maybe Halliburton gets up there at some point as well, but... What if you have the 15th pick and you go Kawhi? Sure, why not? Dame at 13 or 14? Absolutely. Nothing is a lock. Nothing. Nothing is a lock. But I don't think you have that same like, oh God, where do I even go here to start the second round? Now, this is actually kind of the way it should be. Once you get through the first four or five picks of the second round, it does get a little bit more hairy. The guys that are coming off the board after some of those names I just talked about, like we just mentioned, Jimmy Butler is in there. I mean, do we think he can get to only 20 missed games? Devin Booker, who was actually pretty darn good this last season. Booker was number 17 per game, played in 68 ball games. Does he go up, down, or stay the same? It's a relatively safe play at that juncture. Paul George, that's a risky one. Donovan Mitchell, where the hell is he even going to be? Bam Adebayo, we saw a pretty big per-game drop-off. Bradley Beal, do we know what the hell he is? So, this is what we'll be doing for the next couple of shows. We are going to be going through these players basically one by one, including some of the names I listed at the beginning of that second round, like John Morant, Kyrie Irving, who I didn't spend much time on either of those guys. And we will tackle those 12 names and then a few beyond that. Guys like Sabonis, Gobert, Freddie Van Vliet, Chris Paul. Guys that could potentially be a move you make towards the end of the second round. But are you getting crazy by digging a little bit farther down the board? And I want to break some of these names down. We may have some of this stuff turned into video footage down the line. Our revamped YouTube page here at uh, Sports Ethos. And that, I hope, is a fine welcome to the new week here on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, making this the most listened to offseason in the history of Fantasy NBA Today. Hit me up on Twitter or email roster at sportsethos.com. If you want to get involved with us over here, uh, follow JP Sticko over on our football side. He's doing a rate my team thing if you're an NFL enthusiast on the fantasy side. 
I joined an NFL league with a bunch of those guys, and you're going to get to hear me talk about getting my butt absolutely destroyed playing a sport where I didn't know any of the names that were getting drafted after the second round. Uh Uh-oh! Oh, Oh, Lord. I'll do periodic updates. You guys can have a good laugh at my expense. In the meantime, just enjoy your Monday. That's all I ask of you. And then come on back and sit with us for a half hour again tomorrow. 101 off-season episodes and Dalmatians. Yep, that one land? No? Okay, see you tomorrow.